for Kara Niece's baby girl is today at 2 uh, at the home of Nelda and Raymond Wilson. That's on uh, Cypress Street in Nashville. Uh, so I guess once you just get on Cypress Street, look for balloons and uh, you will be able to find it. Also, next Sunday, I do want to put in another plug of just also and also some logistics. Next Sunday will not be Mission Sunday, but it will be Potluck Sunday. Got it? Okay. We are moving Potluck Sunday to second Sunday. So because the um, the Good News Singers will be here, the Good News Singers, I thought I, I may still do it. But on the bulletin, we may put welcome, uh, welcome Braden Bowman and the Good News Singers like real tiny. <laughs> Because Braden, Braden sings bass for our, that group. And uh, if you haven't, like Braden was a pretty good bass when he was here. Um, on a scale of one to ten with seven being the best, he was like six. <laughs> and he, he, he was a pretty good bass. He has, I, I was listening to them online and it is, he's, he's gotten ridiculous. Like it's. I don't know where he found those low notes, but he is hitting them. Uh, and it, it'll, be, it'll be really neat to see him and see the people that he's been working with. And they're going to lead our worship. Uh, we don't let college kids preach here, so I'll preach. And, and, then, we, no, and, then, we'll, and then they're going to uh, uh, perform for us afterwards. Please come be part of that. If you don't typically come to Potluck, and you think, well, I don't want to, we don't go to Potluck, but I want to come hear them. Go, go eat real quick at the Sizzler and come back. Um, but we definitely want um, you to come hear that, that performance. I think that it'll be real uplifting and just come to that worship. It'll be really good. Uh, so please come and be part of that. So Jesus gets off of a boat from, uh, in, after traveling across a lake and a crowd runs up to him and gathers around him. Like they did. So Jesus' life, this is what it has turned into. Uh, is your, if you're a parent or a new parent, and you're, um, one of the hardest things about being a new parent is that you've got this child that um, sleeps all the time except when you sleep. And then there's always those moments where you think, is this what my life is now? Like, is this what it is? Um, and you think, are we going to do this forever? And it feels like, you're going to do it forever. But Jesus' Jesus's life was this now. It was this new uh, thing where he would he'd get away from one group, travel across a lake um, on boat, and get off the boat, and there was another group hurtled around. Some, at some times, the, there was people who said, there goes Jesus, and they just ran around the lake to get to him. And people were constantly needing Jesus. Uh, the story we find we're going to be with today is in Mark chapter five. It should click over to that change. If it doesn't change, all right, good. All right, Mark chapter five. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, maybe your uh, translation says synagogue rulers, uh, one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. Now, what happens here is uh, 
is a man of high standing. If you are a synagogue leader, it means that at this local synagogue, people couldn't make the trek to the temple every day, but they also wanted to come and learn. A synagogue is not something we find um, even talked about in the Old Testament. But in, by the time the New Testament comes around, they'd had these little synagogues placed up all over the place. And these were, these were like, a good way to think of them is they were like church buildings the way we understand them today. Um, that's not exactly right, but that's the best thing, best corollary we have. So uh, this guy was a synagogue leader. So that meant one of two things. He either was the guy in charge of getting um, the daily services together. He was, when you went to the synagogue and experienced something, Jarius had a role in organizing and laying that out. Or he was such an honorary member of the synagogue. He wasn't an organizer, but he was an honorary member of the synagogue that, that they just named him that. You could get that name um, honorarily, which I think is a word. And honorarily, is that a right? None of you. It is to a word, Alyssa. You quit shaking your head at me. We're going to have this out later. Look it up. Now, uh, <laughs> I get all defensive when a teenager starts shaking their head at me. No, but there is... Uh, so you get, this, you, get this award, you get this name either because you did something or because you're, you're worthy of it. And so this guy, no matter what, is a respected member of the community. He's a respected member of the, of the group. And they all join to... Like they, they see him come up and they see him get on his knees and beg. This is a shocking thing. To have a member of a high class member of society come and get down on and he's just he's at the point of desperation, Jarius. So Jesus goes with him. Now, we tell these stories sometimes, uh, these stories of these miracles, like they're cartoons. Because when we think of them, what we actually think of are the, are the pictures. At least if you grew up in church, you think of the pictures in your picture book. Of white beauty pageant sash Jesus. Taller than everyone else. And Jarius comes up and is on the ground. We see the clip art in our head, but miracles weren't clip art. This was an event that happened. It was an event that occurred, and he gets off the boat, people come up, Jarius runs up, comes through the crowd, gets down on his knees and says, you've got to come heal my daughter. And Jesus, of course, yes, come on, let's go. And they go. Now, on their way, something happens, and that something is what I want to talk about this morning. There's a woman who's been bleeding for years. Your, your translation says hemorrhage, I think, to clean up exactly what it was. It's a delicate issue. But this woman had been bleeding for years. So let's look, read it. And a large, crowd, a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. Okay. If you are, let's compare the two people. We've got Jairus, respected member of society, respected leader. And then we've got this woman, not even named. We don't even get a name from her. So Jairus, respected member, woman, 
who's not respected. Jairus is a respected religious leader, which means he handled all, made sure all the things in the uh, synagogue were prepped and ready. That means they were clean. He had to wash. He had to, he had to follow the religious law. This woman, by her very nature, by her very disease, was considered by the Jewish community unclean. So she was not to be touched, and she was not to touch. Look what she does. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched him. Sorry. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And then something really crazy happens. Now that was crazy, but something even crazier happens. Jesus, immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Okay, pause the story right there real quick. So Jesus gets out of the boat, crowd comes up, Jairus comes up, is begging. He says, oh yes, of course, we're going. And they, they, they're walking. They're probably walking at a fairly quick pace. The daughter, as it turns out, is in dire need of help. She is about to die. And he is, Jesus is walking, following Jairus. And Jairus is saying, come on. And they're, they're going to Jairus' house. And this woman is, is crowded in around him. Now, the pictures have always shown her on her hands and knees, like sneaking up. Do y'all remember that picture? She's like reaching. But to catch someone crawling who's heading toward a house where a child is dying to save the child. You're, I mean, you have to be a really fast crawler. In my estimation, I'm guessing she's sort of just blending in with the crowd and just fits her way in and just if I can just graze up against his coat. And she does. Now, all of this quick uh, action where Jesus Jesus is walking so quick across the uh, uh, across the village to this house and they're on their way and it's 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 an emergency, just a flat emergency. Jesus has to heal this woman. But then we go, we go, we get back to this scene where he says, well, what did you, what, who touched me? I think everyone around him thought, what? It's like every emergency room I've ever been to has speed bumps on the way to it. Isn't that weird? Like the place you need to get fastest? <laughs> Howard Memorial's like this. Quick! It's okay. Are you okay, honey? Baby didn't come out? Okay, good. <laughs> it's either you slow down or deliver the baby. because yeah. But there... <laughs> I'm such a stupid person. But there, there's a sense of like, well, let's go, let's go, let's go. And just wait, wait, who touched me? And Peter almost seems a bit annoyed with him in a second. Because everyone probably was. What, what do you mean? 
For Jesus, for everyone else, this would be like, quick, come heal my child. And Jesus goes and heals the child. Let's go. And they're on their way, on their way. And Jesus is like, well, hey, did they paint that house? Like, they don't know a miracle has occurred. They just think Jesus is, well, who touched me? That is so odd. And the, the disciples treat it like it's odd. A disciple said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? Now, this is now this is, this is Peter. He would say he would say, you see the crowd. Touched. How can you say who touched me? You know, he's kind of mocking Jesus at this point. He doesn't know who Jesus is just yet. So he's a little abrupt. But Jesus is Jesus is asking who where did the power? Where did who did I just heal? I love that. Who did I just accidentally heal? Now, at this point, I think it's very important, and we may have to talk about this several times as we talk about the miracles. It's very important to bring up that most, that that, that day, that very day, in that very region, another child, now Jesus does go, spoiler alert, Jesus goes on to heal that child. In that very day, another child probably died. Actually, in, while Jesus was walking around the earth, he, heal, he didn't heal way more diseases than he actually healed. By, by quite a huge margin. So if, if your child was sick and you lived... Um, in Bethlehem, and on this day, he was in Capernaum. Tough luck. It just, that's, that's how it happened. And so one of the mistakes we make whenever we, um, and for me, this alleviates one of the mistakes we make whenever we study the miracles, is we start looking at them as if the gospel writers wrote a book about miracles. The gospel writers did not write a book about miracles. They wrote a book about Jesus. And by telling us the stories of the miracles, they are they're telling us about Jesus. So if we go to these stories and we look at them and we say, well, how can I have a similar prayer or a similar um, disposition and get a miracle um, like, how, how can I have a miracle worked in my life? There are hundreds of books published every year about miracles and how you could say this special prayer or you can do this certain thing or you can follow this certain path and all of a sudden your prayers will start really getting answered because you figured out the cheat code and the miracles are now going to start working. I don't deny anybody's story. Like you come to me and you say, man, I'll tell you, we were in Guatemala and there was this thing that happened and we prayed over this girl and she got up and started walking. I'm not going to then say, I don't know if that's true. I don't question anybody's story about stuff like that. But the purpose of the miracle stories was not to tell us how we can do work miracles. Actually, the first century church, or the, the, the latter, first and second century church after Jesus um, died, they didn't look back and think, 
how can we, especially those who weren't like healing people and not after Peter was getting people up and healing the blind and all that, after all of that, those people died, the people who were left didn't go around thinking, well, how can miracles happen in my life? You know what they did? They saw Jesus helping the sick, whether it was through miraculous works or not. And when plagues came and everyone fled the city except the sick, the Christians stayed there and died taking care of the ones who were dying. See, the miracles moved them to action, to act like Jesus, instead of acting like the sick and saying, well, Jesus, heal my pain too, or you're not legitimate. The miracle stories do not tell us about miracles. That's not their purpose. They tell us about Jesus. And if we, if we can find something in Jesus in these stories, we will, see, we will see how we can better follow Jesus. And if you picture this story in its, in its original context, in the actual dirt and dust of the, of the, of the narrative, we find, we find Jesus stopping and people confused. And then the woman, the woman comes up. The woman comes up and says, he, he says he looked all around to see who had done it, but the, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, this is weird to us because we will say, well, why? Like, if I accidentally healed someone, I'm pretty sure they'd come up pretty happy. But she was unclean and she shouldn't be just walking up touching people. And so she is a bit nervous. And also, in, it's just unfortunate in that context, she was a woman and just society considered her less than. She fell down and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, he didn't heal her just then. He says, go in peace and continue to be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. Now, I am not, I am not proposing that if we could just get close to, if we could just get closer to Jesus, then our diseases will be healed. I'm not proposing that if we just get closer to Jesus, then our, then all that ails us will will be gone. You get close to Jesus, sometimes life gets harder. What I am proposing is that Jesus valued this woman just as much as Jairus. Which was a huge deal in their day. Jesus saw this synagogue leader, Jairus. And then saw this woman who was unclean and did not want to be touched. And saw them the same. And not just the same as each other, but the same as him. He valued Jairus and this woman equally. He truly loved them as he loved themselves, as he loved himself. So what we have here in Mark is this this. Um, Dual states. So we've got the, the rich 
a respected, well, respected clean man and the disrespected, clean, unclean woman. And Jesus treats them both equally. Sometimes we get real dualistic about this. Like, well, if, if we decide that we're going to treat the poor properly, we start hating the people who are rich. And if we want to be in that category, we say, well, you, you need to get a job. And so we, we usually pick people. But, but creating a hierarchy like that in which some people have a lot of value and some people have little value is a horrible way to live. Not just, it's not just detestable, it's not a good way for you to operate. It's not a good way for you to function. Here's an example. Uh, it, say you're in your car, kids with uh, parents with kids who are in the car with them. Now, I don't know how parents did this with, before DVD players. Uh, I just don't know how it happened. Um, I don't know how my parents didn't just leave me and my siblings on the side of the road and just drive off and be like, y'all walk home. Actually, my, my dad did that one time. He stopped and came back, though. There. But you're in the car, and you're driving. And when you're on the road, you are, when you're driving, you're, you're in the, and what I call the, the, the most boring and deadliest video game ever. Just going 55 miles per hour. Down the road at the exact speed limit, and like Christians should, and you're focused, and people are getting in your way, and people are going probably slower than the speed limit, and you're, you're frustrated by the world. Now, the reason you're frustrated by the world is because on the road, everyone is less valuable than you. You see that? On the road, everyone is less valuable than me. Got in my way. Slowed me down. Now, when you're in that state of mind and your kids start fussing. Just in the back. Not even saying words, just... Your immediate response is to be a bad parent. We are our worst at relationships while we're in our car because our base model is I am the most important. Y'all quit tired, I'm trying to drive. That's not, that doesn't do any good. That doesn't improve your relationship with your child. It's not good parenting. But the reason we do that is because I'm just in this zone of everyone that gets in my way is less than. And these kids right now are less than. And to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good parent, you have to understand that you are serving the people around you. That your love for them is one of, that they are equal to you. 
And so in the moments when we, when we consider that everyone else is less than me, it's hard to make those switches real fast and say, well, now my kids, now my kids are on equal playing field. I need to treat them kindly. You just don't do it. You just stay in that groove and you just rant and rave. And by you, I mean we. I do that too. When you're high stress, it's usually because the world isn't bending the way you want it to bend. It isn't doing what you want it to do. And so therefore, you just get mad at everyone. It's hard to flip the hierarchy quickly. You see what I'm saying? I may not be explaining this real well, but it makes sense in my brain. Um, So, you treat your spouse like he or she is an equal. You are immediately being a good parent. You treat the people around you like they are, that they have value. And you are immediately a good, like you, you, you don't have to switch back and forth and say, well, those people are less than. And if you just constantly consider other people less than you, you won't be able to switch when it comes time to talk to your wife, when it comes time to talk to your husband, when it comes time to talk to your children, the people that you love and should be valuing. You want to treat your spouse better? Treat the people who don't matter on the road better. Because you're not going to be able to switch back and forth on a regular basis. Why? The, the most fights that husbands and wives get into, in my experience, the, the, the best, like the best fights, the ones like you'd want to air on reality TV show. The best ones. Top 10. I would guess about 60-70% of those happen on the way to church. Okay, I hit a nerve with some. Happen on the way to church. Really what happens is you're on your, you're on your way driving to church. You've got this sense of the world is less than. And it's hard to, to go back and forth between the world around me is less than and the person in the passenger seat is more than or equal. Now, another thing happens when we say, I am just, I'm pitiful and I'm worthless and I'm, uh, and you're the victim. Not that you're better than people, but you, you, just, you play the victim card. What a psychologist called flopping. You're a flopper. I do this sometimes. Where you think, I, well, I can't believe they would do that to me. You're still better than them. You just feel like you're the victim. Jesus imagines a world, and this is the the truest miracle of all. Jesus imagines a world where we all consider each other just as we consider ourselves. That we consider the wealthy people just as we consider the poor people. That we treat the important people and the, the unimportant people the same way that we treat the righteous and the sinners with the same love. Jesus imagines that sort of world. And if you can't live like that always, it's going to be hard to turn that switch on and off. You just won't be able to do it. Jesus looks at this woman who is unclean and stops the procession 
And there's, you know, there's probably, even while he's talking to this woman, probably people are thinking, Jesus, dying kid. Jesus, there's a, Jesus. And then the man comes up from Jairus' house and says, don't, don't bother Jesus anymore. She's already died. And Jesus said, no, let's go. We can do this. Jesus healed all the people in that story, but the beauty of that story is that the two people Jesus considered equal. Jesus loved equally. And it is our duty as Christians to love the same way. This isn't just a thing like when you go out into the world, represent yourself properly and represent Jesus properly. I believe that the way you treat the people at the restaurant is how you will treat your spouse. I always tell um, young, young ladies particularly this, um, how, how your date treats the waitress and how your date treats their mother is how they will treat you. But he can change. Not that much, he won't. How you treat the people in your life, the people who are unimportant maybe to the world, the people that are important to the world, how you treat that group of people all across the board affects how you treat everybody else. How you treat the people furthest from you affects how you treat the people closest to you. So you've got it, and it starts with a mind change. You start treating everyone equally. People who disagree with you, people who, who agree with you, people who are good, people who are bad, people who you don't like, people who you don't get along with, people who, um, like your, your spouse, although your spouse may have fallen into one of those categories at times. You, you treat everyone like they are worthy of the love God has given them and you love them the same way. And when you love them like that, you are treated, you are not like lifting them up on a pedestal, which is unhealthy. And you're not putting them down below you. You're lifting them up and looking them square in the eye and saying, my love for you brings us together. And it's, it's that, that lifting or some, some of you who have your spouse on a pedestal probably need to bring them down. They're not God. They will fail you up there. To bring them down and look them in the eye and say, you are broken and I love you. That, that to me is real good love. Really good love. It's the kind that Jesus showed and it's the, it's the kind that's just phenomenal. And I think the thing that surprised everyone the most in this story is Jesus talking and turning to this woman. Or turning and talking to this woman. It's probably the thing that made everyone the most uncomfortable. They all knew he could heal him, heal the, the daughter. They're, Let's just get there quick. They stop, turn. Who touched me? Oh, that unimportant woman. And then he says, daughter. I love that. Daughter, not woman. 
daughter, your faith has made you whole. He values her. Just as much as he values that dying child, just as much as he values that synagogue leader, just as much as he values these fishermen that are following him around, you will find no better person to have ever walked the earth than Jesus. And I think one of the things that made Jesus better than all the rest of us is that he got this. That we are to love everyone equally. That we are to honor and respect and treat everyone equally. If your marriage is struggling, if your parenting is struggling, it may not be about trying to be a better husband or trying to be a better wife or trying to be a better parent. It may be actually about you, you need to start paying attention to how you value everyone around you. Because if your marriage is struggling or your parenting is struggling, it's probably just a symptom of something even greater. Look around you and say, how do I value these complete strangers? Because if you can lift them up and stare them in the eye, you won't have any problem lifting your spouse, your kids up, and looking them in the eye and saying, I love you even though you're broken. The the lesson of Jesus lesson of this miracle is there's just these two people and they're so different and one is worthy of respect and one isn't but Jesus respects and loves and treats both equally notice he doesn't turn to the poor woman and abandon the rich guy and say you know what you he doesn't do that he just treats everyone equally Jesus saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. God saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Isn't about making people better than me. It's making the playing field flat. Saying we all are valued in the eyes of God. We all have worth in the eyes of God. So there's two responses, I think, and there could be more. Come up with a third, fourth, or fifth. That'd be great. Two responses to this in, in my mind. Either this is something you need to repent of. And if that's so, you are just honest. That everyone, everyone wrestles with this. I really wrestle with this. This is something I'm going, I, I'm going to have to repent of. But maybe you want to join me in repenting of this. And you, you need the church's prayer for that. Let's do this together. But if this is the first time you've ever caught a glimpse of the real Jesus, not the one who did the flashy miracles, but the one who got down on the level of a woman who was scared and disrespected and exhausted and called her daughter. Maybe you've got a glimpse of that Jesus. And you say, that's the Jesus 
that I want to follow that king. Then today's the day to unite with that king. So we can repent of our, of our, of our selfishness, of our putting ourselves on a pedestal. And we can start following the one who never did that. If you want to respond publicly, please come forward while we stand and while we sing. Because you're, you're worthy of it. And so this guy, no matter what, is a respected member of the community. He's a respected member of the, of the group. And they all join. To, like they, they see him come up and they see him get on his knees and beg. This is a shocking thing. To have a member of a high class member of society come and get down on and he's just he's at the point of desperation, Jarius. So Jesus goes with him. Now, we tell these stories sometimes 